As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. She hasn't been able to make changes to her grandmother's care or find out the number of positive cases inside. And neither have we. So that I can try to make the best decisions for her. And I think if I don't have all the other pieces of the information, I really can't do that. New information from the state shows a third of all COVID-19 related deaths are in long-term care facilities. Had we not done the testing, we wouldn't have even known. Our second goal is to test every nursing home resident and staff member. I think it's important for people to know because the unknown is what creates all the fear. Over the last several weeks, Wisconsin has released more information about COVID-19 outbreaks in nursing homes, long-term care facilities. But we still don't have answers to the biggest questions family members are asking. Which facilities have outbreaks and how many people are sick? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, good morning, Amanda. We are bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through the bombardment of coronavirus news. We are recording this episode on Tuesday morning, May 5th, 2020, Cinco de Mayo. And today we are talking to Fox 6 anchor and reporter Suzanne Spencer. She spent several uh, weeks, the last several weeks, pushing for answers about COVID-19 in Wisconsin's long-term care facilities. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I called it a show. Do we call a podcast a show? I sound like an old man when I ask that question, but <laughs> it's, it's a, a podcast. Th- it's a show. Okay, I think fine. your radio days are coming back. There you go. All right. Well, Suzanne, welcome back. We know you've been working hard on this issue of COVID-19 and long-term care facilities, and we know that the concerns with coronavirus are most pronounced with the elderly and those who are uh, immunocompromised. So obviously that connects to people in nursing homes. What have you found and, and what are you learning as time goes on? Well, I think the big thing this morning, guys, is that there is so much more information now than there was when all of this began in mid-March. So we were pushing from the State Department of Health to try to get simple information, like how many deaths were occurring in nursing homes and long-term care facilities, how many positive cases were in those facilities, and we simply could not get those answers. Uh, We've since learned a lot has changed, and it really should because the numbers show why this is continuing to be such a big part of the conversation when we talk about the coronavirus. Um, The latest numbers just this morning show that 39% of all deaths in the state of Wisconsin are in long-term care. So initially, we couldn't even find the number of deaths, the number of positives, the number of negative or recovered cases in long-term care. And you definitely couldn't find which facilities were impacted the most. Um, and now you can actually find on the State Department of Health's ro- website, you can find deaths 
statewide, you can find the number of COVID-19 investigations in long-term care facilities and also broken down by region. So there's a lot more information now than there was when all of this began, but there are still things that we don't know. Namely, the outbreaks that are happening in specific facilities. And I know you've spoken to a lot of family members who have been frustrated by the fact that they're not able to get that information. Why that frustration and why does that continue to be a roadblock? I think the big thing with that is that they argue this is not enough information. They want to know, does their loved one's facility have COVID-19 cases? And they can't even get that information about their loved one within that facility. So they're arguing this information simply is not enough. I think for for a lot of these family members, they just want to know the power of knowing so that they can make a decision about their loved one's care is crucial to them. And so like, for example, the state's page says, okay, today there are 133 deaths out of 340. Um, But some people are arguing, well, that doesn't really mean much to me unless I know which facilities those deaths are occurring in. Because without that key piece of information, how do we know what's being done to stop its spread? One thing we do know, if you look at the state's data, is that it's actually a relatively small percentage of coronavirus cases in the state that are in long-term care facilities, but a high percentage of the deaths. So that matches with what we would expect because it's a vulnerable population. So we know there's a considerable concern when there's a case detected at a facility and and the, the threat that others could be infected and, of course, could die. Why, then, is the state not wanting to release the specific names of those facilities? It seems, in a case like this, the more information, the better. Have they given explanations or reasons as to why they won't say which facilities have cases and how many? They really haven't explained to me, at least, why they won't say which facility other than um, it's simply up to the county or the facility to decide. A lot of people have been throwing around the word privacy um, for the residents and for the individual facilities because many of these are privately funded uh, facilities. And I think when people say the word private, and this is in their private interests or their for people's privacy, I think there needs to be a little bit more explanation as to why that is, because some would also argue that it's in the public's interest to know. And we've seen that happen where some counties and some facilities are choosing to release that information about COVID-19 because they believe the public's right to know outweighs their ability to keep that information private. Well, and even though these are private entities, they are regulated by the state. They are inspected by the state. The state has the power to bring sanctions and publicly show that they had violations. So even though they are private organizations, private doesn't necessarily mean secret. Interesting you say that because this past week we actually had a facility in Milwaukee called Edenbrook Lakeside reach out to us and say, we were featured on Fox 6 News. And that was our story from April 1st when we had reached out to them after a family member had said, we can't get information. And we went to them and said, we have a relative of someone who's inside that facility who can't get information. And they didn't respond to us on April 1st. Here they are a month later coming to us saying, we actually want to share our story. And that kind of prompted interest from us. Well, what's so interesting about your story that you're willing to provide all of that information? Because that really isn't something we've seen them or anyone really in this in long-term care do. And so what, what did they share with you? 
So they shared that they essentially had two patient zeros in mid-March. They had a worker and a resident come in who tested positive. And the administrator said, if we have two people in here, two of which had no contact with each other. So these people were in, it was a worker who didn't have contact with that resident. They wanted to know if we have two people, what does this look like for us? Do we have many more cases? So they decided, they call it an investment, um, which means it was at least $10,000, possibly more, um, to test every single resident and every single staff member. And um, they basically found those two people was more like 20. And they had 20 positive cases out of about 200 of total residents and total staff. So of those 20, every single person was asymptomatic. So that started them down this path of, well, if we hadn't tested, how would we have known? And so I think that Edinburgh Lakeside is kind of a unique story because they tested all 200 people, found out 20 were positive, and say and believe that if they hadn't done that testing, they may not have known. So now their cases are down to two, and they believe that's because they isolated a lot of things that other long-term care facilities are doing, you know, isolating the positive cases, mandating PPE, making sure that their uh, workers are only working at their long-term care facility and not traveling among different ones, as we often see in long-term care. So uh, this raises a question for me, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a leading question I'm going to ask, but if they invested $10,000 to test all of these residents and all of these staff members, and now they've revealed to you what the results were of those tests, did they violate the privacy of their residents and their staff by telling you that? It's a good question. It doesn't seem they have because you don't know the names of any of these people. You don't know which ones tested positive. You have information that's useful and helpful for families. And, and I say that was a leading question because obviously I ask it with an opinion of what the answer is. <laughs> it doesn't appear there's been any privacy violated. It seems to me that the hindrance in getting these numbers is more a matter of the investment of the cost than it is of, uh, of concern for privacy. At least in this case, they seem to have proven this one facility's proven if you spend the money, you can get the answers and we can release it to the public and no one's harmed. Well, and that brings up the question, whose privacy are we really protecting, right? So if we're talking about privacy of individuals under Wisconsin's open records law, there are certain cases in which medical information is considered private. But in those cases, you have to be able to know whose medical information it is. A lot of times people use HIPAA as an excuse in cases where it really doesn't apply. What, From my perspective, what I'm seeing here is it seems like there's an investment in protecting the privacy of these facilities for various reasons, whether it's wanting to protect them from embarrassment or protect them from a wave of people trying to move their loved one if there is COVID-19 there. And there is no such exception in Wisconsin's open records law for that kind of privacy. Well, and not to try to dominate this conversation, but as you know, Amanda and, and, and Suzanne, I've been covering the outbreak of COVID-19 at the Smithfield Foods plant, Patrick Cudahy. And while that's not a long-term care facility, the company made a similar statement in identifying early on why it would not confirm the number of cases there. They actually used the phrase, out of respect for our employees' legal privacy. Well, there is no legal privacy interest uh, in in not having the public know how many cases there are at your workplace. there There is no legal privacy interest there, but it's a citation they're making. And it sounds like that's a similar 
uh, rationale for not releasing these numbers in long-term care facilities. You say, Suzanne, though, you're not hearing that. You're not getting that exact explanation from the state. Getting more general privacy concerns is, is honestly what they're giving to me. But I do think that other facilities have used the privacy line for me. And I think that, you know, it's different when you think about if one of these places had one death and everyone knew it was one death uh, within the, you know, the parameters of that facility. I can see why perhaps the privacy of that individual would be paramount because although once you're once you uh, and not to be callous but once you've died there is no privacy protection in fact that information could come from uh from medical examiner records yeah that's true too I, and i guess the other thing though my thought is when people give that sort of privacy line is it i think what amanda said is it really to protect them or is it to protect the facility it's hard to really know and unless these facilities actually come out on their own and and give us like an account as edinburgh lakeside did it's really hard to see what testing or or really what they've actually done to drop the numbers so edinburgh lakeside is really just one example but more often than not we're not getting any information from these facilities like Alice Care Center, for example, which we've done numerous stories on, they've confirmed one death within the facility, but we've had two people reach out and say their loved ones died there. So it's just, unless that's what's kind of challenging from the state's perspective is they're still leaving it up to the individual county and the facility to make that decision about how much they release. And no matter what excuse they've given us so far, it's we've just really seen the most information come out of individual facilities that choose to come forward. Why do you think Edenbrook Lakeside did come forward? Because that seems like they didn't have to. Why did they? I mean, to play devil's advocate, it makes them look good, right? I mean, they tested everyone. They put forth, they put their money where their mouth is and decided to um, release that information. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it is a good case study of seeing how testing and seeing how their deliberate you know, decisions to restrict workers to one area or one facility and to make sure that all the residents were isolated, you can see that it clearly worked. But surely it's not the only place that these types of things have worked. I I think it's interesting to talk about what it looks like when you test everyone at your facility, because just yesterday, Governor Tony Evers said there is now a push to test every nursing home resident and staff member. So it would be great to have data far more widespread than the one facility you were just talking about, Suzanne, but it sounds like those results are all going to be private too. I was curious about that too, because if you have 373 nursing homes for residents and their staff members, it's expensive, number one. And number two, that's a lot of data. And the people who are going to be compiling all of this data and then On top of it, this is a changing situation by the day. So once you test everyone, the next day you could have entirely different numbers. So I think it's a start to at least understand how big of an issue this is for perhaps facilities that aren't willing to pay that money to test everyone. The state's going to do it themselves, but it won't give us all the answers that we have been kind of asking and looking for. What's going through your mind as you continue digging into this issue? What's the next step, the next thing you want to take a look at in your reporting? I think the other big part of this conversation is really families who are frustrated that they still can't get information from these facilities. And that's really been kind of the core of why I've 
also been looking into this because um, on the federal level, there were some developments at the end of April where the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid announced new guidance. So any facility, long-term care facility, nursing home, has to report instances of COVID-19 to the CDC. But the other part of that guidance was that they have to report these instances to residents and their family members or power of attorney within a 12-hour window of someone showing symptoms. And there are some other, you know, the small print um, within that of how many cases that they're required to have before they have to do that notification. But the point being is that there is an understanding that there is a problem that Families aren't able to find out information about COVID-19 in their loved one's facilities. And it appears there are some steps underway to try and change that. The thing about the CMS guidance is that it's not, it hasn't totally taken effect yet. So it was announced at the end of April, um, but I talked with one local facility who said, that's just it. It's guidance. We don't have to do that. And that was interesting to me because I thought, well, I guess that's one way to go about it. Seems like a risky way to do business is to uh, ignore guidance from the CDC. Uh, but but that said, I, you know, you, you bring up a really interesting point, Suzanne, which is so many family members are in the dark right now, not only because they're not getting information from the facility, but even more so, as as I recently reported on with a family in uh, at a Pewaukee facility, they can't get inside. They can't even see their loved ones. The only communication they may have is, is through the phone, maybe a FaceTime uh, call or something like that maybe a window visit, but they're already feeling locked out of their loved one's lives. And then to be locked out of this kind of information, uh, I'm sure only seems that much more unsettling. Although I suppose I could imagine the flip side, which is if you're locked outside and you can't do anything to get in to see or help your loved one, and then you hear there are, say, five cases at a facility, maybe the concern is that would cause an undue amount of anxiety in those family members without knowing what's really going on inside to protect loved ones. I don't know. That's a devil's advocate uh, thought, I suppose. But but I can imagine it's got to be very, very difficult for the families to be physically locked out, but then also locked out of the information. And I think that's it. We've actually heard from some facilities that very thing, that knowing um, could cause more harm, which is interesting. Um, but I do think that just the reporting to the CDC and all of that will give us more information, a more clear picture of what's really going on in nursing homes and long-term care facilities, but it's definitely not going to tell us everything. As we've seen with this pandemic, we're getting more and more information by the day, but crucial things like families needing to know about grandma and grandpa who are stuck and lonely and want to see their families, it's ultimately not going to be perfect and it's not going to be for a while. And I think it's jarring for a lot of people to realize that a lot of times there are no rules for how these facilities have to or whether they even have to notify you about these cases going on inside their own buildings. I filed a little over 20 record requests about that very thing with the state and also with several cities and counties in southeastern Wisconsin. And basically all of those record requests turned up I asked the question of, do you have a policy or procedure that nursing home and and long-term care facilities must follow in notifying family members or residents? And most of them said no. And they referred me either to the guidance from the Department of Health on precautions that they're taking, but there was really nothing about 
notifying family members. And so I saw in one example, Alice Care Center, starting May 4th, yesterday, they're doing an automated phone service. So you can sign up to have like this automated phone call about the state of COVID-19 in their facility. But what does that actually mean? What does that look like? I don't know. I haven't been on the call. And so while places I think are recognizing there is a need, is it enough? We don't know at this point. Well, and you know, that that question of getting the information out to families could in fact do more harm by frightening them or causing anxiety. Um, it, there is a flip side to that as well, which is that an absence of information uh, can sometimes lead to speculation and fear that's unwarranted. And People there are a, a number of cases. Yeah, and, and we've seen that. I keep going back to the reference uh, of the Patrick Cudahy plant and that investigation. But there are many public officials and, and employees who were concerned that the outbreak there must have been bigger than even the ones in Green Bay or Sioux Falls, because why aren't they releasing the information? It must be enormous. So there were rumors, rumors going around of two to 300 positive cases, when in fact, we find out last week that it was 85. So the absence of information can sometimes do more harm as well, because people will fill in the blanks with uh, what they think is the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I think that the state of the fact that the State Department of Health is releasing at least the number of cases, the number of public health investigations in long term care, it's a start because it gives some people some information, but it still doesn't help families who just want to get some information. I got another call yesterday. You know, I, I've been calling. They're not calling me back. What do I do? And, and I don't have those answers. And, I, and I'm just not sure who does. Oh, we appreciate you continuing to look into it because it's something that affects so many thousands of people and families across the state of Wisconsin. And and this isn't over. Uh, this is going to be going on for some time now. So we appreciate the work you've put into looking into it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Suzanne. And we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's theinvestigators at fox6now.com. As always, we want to thank the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson, And for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs>